welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Spend uh, your time upstairs. You want to open up your Bible to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. We'll also be flipping over our Bibles in the book of Matthew, and we'll be looking at chapter 7. So two different scriptures we're going to look at uh, this morning. This is the time of the year where two things happen. David definitely uh, mentioned it as well. Uh, Easter is coming up in two weeks. We always know it's springtime. That's the time that we celebrate the risen Savior. It's certainly exciting and encouraging in two weeks to come here and celebrate and remember the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. And that's, as, that is the bedrock and foundation for what it uh, means for us as believers, what we absolutely observe. But do you know also, always around April, is a time of the year that many of us also enjoy because on April 22, 1876, in Cincinnati... There was a baseball team called the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And they were, the, they were one of the founding teams of the first professional sports league here in America. And actually, I think all over the world. That started what we call the National League, which began Major League Baseball. 145 years ago, this month, baseball started. So this coming Thursday begins a new season of baseball. Who here is a baseball fan? So, yeah, gosh, man, 10 people? That's America's pastime, so that is. That will be kicking off. And it, it, baseball started. It started right up I-75 in Cincinnati. So right there, we all love the Reds, and that's where we can trace back our foundation for Major League Baseball right here in Cincinnati with that. But for our foundation as Christians, what we're going to be looking at today is going to be our foundation for believers, and that is going to be the crucifixion of where Jesus in Jerusalem, where he was sentenced to be crucified, where he was persuaded, Pilate was persuaded by the crowd, and they turned him over to be beaten with a crown of thorns, to be mocked, and then ultimately to die on this cross here. And then three days later, what we will celebrate and observe on Easter morning, a resurrected body with that. But that's what, that's what April means. It's a time for Easter. It's our time for certainly remembering how important this is. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And in fact, today's scripture... We're really going to be focusing on maybe some uh, different characters we don't think of when we think of the Easter story. And mainly we want to zero down on what we call the crowd. Because I'm going to introduce you to a lot of different things and events and people whom are all referenced here in the scriptures. But when it really comes down to who did Pilate, who really turned Jesus over to be crucified... It was actually just unnamed crowd members. They demanded Jesus' crucifixion. And I think for us, we, I think the main message for us this morning is to make sure that we are not part of that crowd. It is so easy today to just go along to get along. You just drift along in life. We're persuaded by what people say. I get, and y'all have to get 
this too. Do y'all get telemarketing phone calls? Even when you ask to be taken off the list, they still call. I have, I bet in the history of my answering phone, I have received over 25,000 telemarketing calls. Many of you are thinking, Pastor, why do you even answer the phone? You just never know who it could be. Uh, Sherry always jokes and says, is the president calling? If it says spam, that's not someone important calling you. And she's right, never has once on a spam phone call. But I often wonder, has anybody ever bought something from a telemarketing phone? Does this stuff actually work? Do people in the Philippines calling America... Does that actually think, let me, yes, sir, let me give you my credit card number, so I would like to purchase that product you're selling. I do need that car insurance that you're, you're, you're offering today. Well, sales likely works. When I was in seminary, I worked at this place in New Orleans called Lee Michaels Fine Jewelry, and I was a salesman, and they taught me how to sell. And that's how to sell putting pressure on people. This is what jewelry people do in sales. Let's just say David Dale comes in and he needs a new watch. And I'm his salesman. And you always want the customer to try it on. I would look, pull that out of the case and say, sir, try this on. Make sure, see what it looks like on your wrist. And then as he's trying it on, this is totally rigged. Another salesman, David, it's supposed to walk over and say, sir, that looks sharp on you. I tell you, a nice blue jacket. And you bring in a second person. So now you have two people putting pressure on you on how good looking the watch is. It could be the ugliest watch. It could be the most unattractive necklace in the world. It doesn't matter what they're trying on. You're to walk over to that person and smile and say, that is a good-looking necklace, ma'am, you are wearing. It would go great with a black dress. That's what you say. And that crowd, that pressure, is supposed to encourage or make it easy for someone else to purchase the item. And I believe what we're about to see here in our Bibles is the crowd was pressured and they crucified Jesus not one person spoke up boldly for our Lord and said, no, the man's innocent. He's not guilty. He has done nothing wrong. And that's what we're going to look at here in our Bible. So open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. On Thursday morning, I had PRK surgery in my left eye and LASIK surgery I've had glasses since the third grade, and the amount I spend on contacts and glasses, I figured after eight years, this would pay for itself. So if I'm reading the Bible, it's actually easier for me to see far away right now than close up. So if I'm reading the Bible from up there, you know why. And if it looks like I'm up here crying, that's why, because my eyes are watery, and I'm, I can't wait to Tuesday's appointment to get that lens taken off. God's Word tells us here in verse 15, at the festival... The governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. So what is going on now, Jesus has been arrested. Jesus, he has found himself turned over at the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's what we looked at last week. He's been handed over. And now he's, he went before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council, 
And they were not allowed to execute people. And they wanted an execution for this man. So then they were able to get him into a Roman court, which in the Romans were the only, allow, only ones allowed for capital punishment. Verse 16, it tells us, At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who they call Christ? Who is Barabbas? Barabbas, in other accounts of this story, and he's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, he is described as a murderer. He's a notorious criminal. So understand, at this time of the year, it would be like they're, they're observing the Passover. So in remembrance of the Passover, what they would do is they would release a prisoner. And that was to be symbolic of a pardoning in the Old Testament of when you would just release a scapegoat lamb. So Pilate, remember, Pilate is not Jewish. He's over this region, and he basically wants to try to just honor the Jewish people and give some attention to them, some of their customs. And this time of the year, at Passover, they were to release their scapegoat prisoner. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. So he figured, you bring out Barabbas, you bring out this man here who's a criminal, who's a killer, surely. Jesus, who's basically a religious teacher who has not hurt anyone, who they just don't like, who they're envious of, surely Pilate believed they're going to select to release Jesus. That's what was going on here. Barabbas is that guy. He was a bad man. And he deserved execution. He had a reputation as a criminal. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 18, For he knew that it was because of envy that they had handed him over. Do you know what envy is? Envy is when inside of yourself, envy is this feeling of discontent, distrust. Envy is something that internally, folks, it destroys you. Envy is longing. I mean, even for me, I'm. You, you know, I was actually before the surgery. I was practically blind. I would envy people. I, I hate saying the word envy, but I would long to have 20/20 vision. You meet someone that struggles with eyesight. You meet someone that's crippled. You meet someone that's in a wheelchair. You know what they want? They want to walk. They want to see. They want to be healed. You find someone who has cancer, they want to be the Lord to they say, Well, God, why do I have to struggle with this? Why do I have to wrestle with this? And envy is a sin that we have to guard ourselves against. Because it's actually that that this envious spirit that led Jesus to the him to be crucified here. The Jewish leaders, folks, they did not like the fact that the crowd, that Jesus had this large following, 
all these people were listening to them. And when you want to be popular, when you want to be heard, and all of a sudden, this new guy comes along and everyone's listening to him, you're thinking, whoa, what about me? Why is no one listening to me anymore? Remember John the Baptist? He struggled even with this. When his ministry was flourishing out in the Jordan River and everybody was coming to him for believer's baptism. And I want to tell you, next Sunday, we're going to observe believer's baptism. Every single one of you here need to walk this aisle and get saved. And then you need to go through the waters of baptism. That's what it means. And then you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit the rest of your life. That's what it means to be a believer. You repent of your sins. You receive believer's baptism. Believer's baptism, it doesn't save you. Remember, it's a sign that you are saved. Jesus is who saves us. And then we live the rest of our time for the Lord. Are you living for the Lord right now? If you come here this morning saying, God, I'm here to live for you. Well, what, what envy does, envy is when we feel, God, I am missing something. Something is absent from my life. And these folks here, they were envious of Jesus. John the Baptist, he was arrested, he was thrown in prison. And the Bible says he never got out. And even when he's sitting in a prison cell in a dungeon, he was wondering. He sent a message to Jesus saying, Jesus, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Meaning he was even struggling. What happened? Everybody was coming and receiving baptism. And then, bam, I'm locked up. And I want to tell you, sometimes in our life, God closes doors. All of a sudden, you feel like things are going very well. And then an accident occurs. A disease comes upon you. Something happens. And everything changes. Divorce. Your children rebel. Financial ruin. An event occurs. And we are left wondering, why God? Why did this happen? I was talking to you one of this morning, one of you this morning, as I was walking around and said, Daniel, why is Ukraine happening? Why do we have to turn on the news and watch these folks? Their lives are ruined. And I imagine there's 44 million people in Eastern Europe in that country saying, why God? And our only answer is we can genuinely say, God, we don't know. We, all we know is we live in a sinful, fallen world. And all of this is a result of originally started in the Garden of Eden. Until Jesus returns, or we are standing before the Lord in heaven, this is the world we live in. And I think for us spiritually, we need to make sure we, don't, we are not being eaten inside of envy. Envy can be all sorts of things. It's when you feel you are missing or you're lacking something. There's this discontent in your life. And you feel this thing, this desire, will fill my soul. That's what was going on. They were envious. Pilate knew that. Keep going here in your Bibles. God's Word goes on to say, While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, 
Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife apparently had a dream or a nightmare. That's, and I think you say, why did God include this in the Bible? I believe all these different characters we're going to see this morning. We're going to see that there was all these opportunities for Pilate to make a decision not to crucify and turn Jesus over to be executed. There was all these off-ramps, but it was God's will and God's purpose for Jesus to die. He died for you and I. Pilate's wife. Man, if your wife has a dream, do you listen to her? Pilate's wife was not listened to. And I want to tell you, dreams, God speaks to us through dreams. Now, not all dreams are we need to act on. Some can be sinful and wrong, and some are way out there. But we see throughout Scripture, Joseph, he received a dream from the Lord, from Gabriel, that, that he was to take Mary as his wife. God does speak through dreams. And here, the Lord, I believe, gave this dream to Pilate's wife just to confirm, I believe the very purposes has happened because Pilate needs to know. He knows that he's being turned over because of envy. Even his wife sends a message saying the man is innocent. And back in Bible times, they believed firmly that if you received a dream, it was from the Lord. So Pilate's now even hearing that my wife even dreamed that this man is innocent. Have nothing to do with him means release him. But he can't. And I want to tell you why he can't. Because of the crowd. Because of this, this movement to oppose Jesus. It was so prevalent during this time. And I tell you this morning, that movement exists today. This opposition to Jesus. The day you decide that you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to live by the Holy Spirit, you're going to live your life for Jesus, I promise you, you will meet roadblock after roadblock. There will be setback. Because the devil does not want it. Keep going here in your Bible. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked, now this is our question for this morning, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate then, here's another question. He's asking, Pilate's asking us these questions. God's one. What then should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What do I do with this man? That's a question for us. What do we do with Jesus? How we answer that question has eternal consequences for you and I. What do I do with him? Our lost and dying world is wondering about this question. What do I do with Jesus? And they all answered, crucified Him. Every single time you reject Jesus, every time the Lord leads you to do something, every single time that you put off from getting saved or following Christ in baptism, do you know what you're actually telling the Lord? You are right here with the crowd. 
according to verse 22, where it says, crucify him. That's what they're saying. That's what we say to Jesus. God, I don't want to follow you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Lord, crucify you. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? They can't answer the question. There's no answer. He hasn't done anything wrong. But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that the riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, see, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. As if this is showing that he's innocent. Washing yourself in some water and saying, look, this man's blood's on you. What's, I want to tell you what's powerful about this entire passage. Notice, does Jesus ever speak? No. Jesus is innocent. He doesn't even say a word. Does Barabbas ever speak? No. Barabbas is guilty. Does Pilate ever make a decision? All he does is go around asking questions. He really doesn't say anything. He's washing his hands over here. He's saying, what do I do? You tell me. This is a man who cannot make a decision. He's indecisive. People who are indecisive about Jesus. People who just cannot decide whether or not they want to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus identify with Pilate. Pilate was lost. Not only that, Pilate's wife she couldn't even make a decision. She just sends a message to Pilate. She woke up that morning. And we know this crucifixion scene here. It's happening very early in the morning. She's sending a message to Jesus or Pilate saying, the man about Jesus, he's innocent. He hasn't done anything. This is the most, indis- this is the most non-truthful uh, and non-honest jury you will ever see. No one can make a decision. Except the crowd. And folks, I want to tell you, that happens to us. If you don't decide and choose whom you're going to live for, every day you will be drug along and follow the crowd. Folks, the crowd is dangerous. I want to tell you where the crowd goes to. Keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 26. Look over in your Bible. This is what happens to the crowd in Matthew chapter 7. I have it up here on the screen so I can see it. Verse 13 tells us, Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus Jesus is going to give us. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving us some options. He's telling us the danger of the crowd. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. I'll tell you, there's a lot of folks on that road. It's a broad road. It's an easy road. It's a road that you can just stroll right down that road. And there are many who go through it. Most folks are on this road. Do you know anybody on this road? Do you know anybody who's on the road of selfishness? Who's on the road of just rebellion? Who's on the road of addiction? Who's on the road of living what they want to do apart from the Lord? That is why our city is desperate for revival. They are all around us. 
And it goes on to say, in verse 14, How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Living for the Lord is this gate that it will not be easy. It's a challenge. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, that means it involves in carrying a cross. There are challenges, and very few people get saved. Most people in our community are spiritually lost. Folks, that means they're going to hell. They do not know the Lord. All around us, this Easter, these next two weeks, as you come in contact with people, there will be people who need to be here on Easter morning to celebrate a risen Savior. They need to get saved. You know, I come up here and I've got water coming down my eyes. You might not be able to see it. But think about it. You know what should really water our eyes? Do you know what should cause tears in church? When we have empty altars. When we have baptism waters that aren't being stirred. When we have aisles that aren't being walked. Folks, that should lead to weeping. When we see people not responding to Jesus, they're not responding to God. And He's saying, this road is difficult. It's hard and few find it. Keep going back here in your Bible. In Matthew chapter 27. Look what God's Word says here. These folks are begging for Barabbas. Pilate can't make a decision. He's an indecisive man. The only people who can make a decision are actually the people. In verse 25, look at this statement. When someone rejects Jesus, this is what happens. And not only that, when you don't live for the Lord, I want to tell you parents, if you don't bring your children to church, And grandparents, if your grandchildren aren't in church learning about Jesus, if you aren't instructing them about the Lord, this verse applies to you. Verse 25 says, All the people answered, His blood, that's the blood of Jesus. They didn't even realize what they were saying right now. His blood be on us and on our children. The people are saying, You know what, Mr. Pilate? We will accept the responsibility and the guiltiness of Jesus. In fact, not only us, we'll even let our children. Moms, dads, when your children don't get the opportunity and the honor and the joy of coming into church and worshiping, the blood is on your hands. How sad would it be That you give everything to your children and your grandchildren. But folks, you don't give them what's most important. The most important thing for your children and grandchildren, your loved ones, is their relationship with the Lord. And when we do not do this, we are just like the crowd saying, I'll just take the blood on my hands. Folks, this is a serious statement. These Jewish people, the crowd, they didn't even know what they were saying. Then he released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Pilate gave in. Jesus didn't say a word. Barabbas didn't say a word. In fact, Pilate really didn't hardly. All he did is ask a bunch of questions and wash his hands and listen to a message from his wife. 
The crowd had Jesus crucified. They influenced Pilate. And I believe for us, we could be in that same situation here with the crowd. We want to make sure that we aren't going down this wide, broad road. Keep going here in your Bibles. This is what happened. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in scarlet robe. I want to tell you, the scarlet robe can also be translated a purple robe, some of your Bibles. Do you see this purple right here? Do you see the purple up on the cross? That's what Jesus wore before his crucifixion. In two weeks, that purple turns to white. Jesus didn't come out of the tomb wearing purple. He came out of the tomb wearing white. The purple represents mockery. Kings wore purple. They're putting this purple robe on him and beating him, mocking him as a, as a king, saying, look at you. What kind of king are you? That's what they're doing there. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. This crown of thorns here, this crown of thorns there, that was on Jesus' head. And I want to tell you, they didn't gently set that. They pushed it down hard. His head was bleeding. This is painful. Jesus doesn't say a word. Folks, if someone is pushing this on your head, you're probably going to try to fight back. Not Jesus. He's innocent. He's a lamb going to the slaughter. And it says they place a staff in his right hand, a symbolic, mocking him, showing that he's the king. And then it says here, they knelt down before him and mocked him. Look at this. Hell, king of the Jews. Folks, it says they knelt down mocking him on their knees. I want to ask you, when is the last time you bowed at the feet of Jesus? Could you imagine being a believer in 2022 and living your entire life saved, but never once do you bow down before the Lord? Say, why does that matter, Pastor? i tell you why. They're doing it to mock Him. The guards who don't even believe Him are mocking Jesus. We don't bow down to Jesus to mock Him. Folks, we bow down to Jesus because He is our King. He is our Savior. He is the One who redeems us. He is our life. He is the One that we come to worship. He is the One who gives us the Holy Spirit. He is worthy of us bowing down. Folks, some of us need to repent of failing to bow down to Jesus. How sad would it be? We go our entire life, year after year after year, and our knees don't bow to King Jesus. And here they are, crucifying Him, and they're doing it as mockery. I mean, the guards are doing it. Buddy, if the guards can do it, we as believers, we have to do it. We, are, we want to identify and we want to kneel down before Him and say, Lord, I'm not here mocking You. I'm here praising You. book of Philippians says every knee will bow before the Lord. Every single knee. That's not an option. And I want to tell you, people who mock Jesus today, they will stand before the Lord at judgment and their knees will be bowing.
Then they spit on him. They took his staff. And they kept hitting him on the head. I want to tell you why that hurt. They gave him that staff as a mockery. Then with the crown of thorns, they're taking the staff and they're hitting his head, which is just pushing down the thorns into his head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of his nice purple robe that he's wearing. And they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified. Jesus didn't say a word. Do you know when I read this passage, I see Jesus, my Savior, your Savior too, suffering for you and I. And I want, to know, I want us to identify, folks, if He's willing to make a stand, if He's being quiet, just a sheep going to slaughter, surely I can make a stand for the Lord today too. Because I, I imagine, if you and I speak up for the Lord, if we make a stand for righteousness, most likely we're not going to endure this. We might get made fun of. We might lose some friends. We might be put down on the internet. But Jesus endured torture. Now, this is interesting. This is our last verse. And I want to show you what happens here. Here is Jesus, who's silent. He's not saying a word. Nobody's really speaking at this point. Here we see Barabbas, who's also silent. He's the guilty one, but he's set free. We identify with Barabbas. He took our place. I mean, we should be where Barabbas is. But no, we're set free. Jesus took our spot. And here's the crowd speaking. They're the only ones speaking. Pilate, Barabbas, Jesus, they're silent. So what happens here is all of a sudden, we're going out to this place called Golgotha. It's called Calvary in the Bible. And that's right outside the city walls in Jerusalem where they would crucify people. And typically the prisoner would carry his own cross. Probably carrying a cross like this after you've been beaten, after you've been bloodied up, is challenging. Jesus is probably in extreme pain. He's disoriented. He's got blood all over him. And then they realize he's struggling carrying the cross. And it says in verse 32, As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced him to carry his cross. That means there was this man from Cyrene. Do you know where Cyrene is? It's in current day Libya, which is in northern Africa. This man was in town for the Passover. He either was a secret follower of, of Jesus or he was just walking by and he, they said, Sir, you, you look like a strong man. I'm summoning you. You're going to carry this man's cross. Again, notice, he doesn't say a word. Nobody ever speaks up at this. This is like the crucifixion and the execution of silence. It's just a fulfillment. Only the crowd is leading along here. They're the ones speaking up. And it says about this man's life, if you go back and look, and we won't turn there, but I want to tell you, God used this event. In Mark 15.21 and in Romans 16.13, there are two people. He had two sons. And his two sons later became believers and leaders in the church. You say, Why? Because why? Their father carried the cross. Dads, 
when you are leading your home and you're carrying the cross and you're leading your family to church, your children, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, they see that. Our example at our home is to set one for our family saying, I'm willing to carry this cross. I want to tell you what carry the cross means. Carry the cross means you don't drop out of church. You don't give up. You don't have a bad attitude. You don't hop in the car in front of the kids or your wife and start evaluating the services, the music, the sermon. You never speak bad about the Lord or His church. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. Let me tell you something. If you are speaking negatively, I'm not just talking about our church. If you speak negative about another church, we have no idea what God's doing in the life of that other church. We aren't there. We don't know what the Lord's working in the pastor's heart. And not only that, we don't know the negative influences that has on those people in the car that we're with. Why would, why would our children and grandchildren want to go to church when mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, all they do is make fun of it? This man here, Simon the Cyrene, he's carrying the cross and his boys got saved because their daddy made a bold stand for the Lord. Now we don't know anything else about this man. All these characters here in the Bible, very little is known about them. Simon the Cyrene, Barabbas is the only time we see him, Pilate's wife. But I think what, we, what God is teaching us these were all instruments that the Lord used in this grand plan for the Lord to get crucified on the cross so you and I can be saved. The only people we hear from is the crowd. And they are against Jesus. They are determined to kill Him. And this morning, I'm asking you, folks, are you following the crowd? Are you just moseying along in silence? Because if you are silent, if you do not speak up for the Lord this Easter season, if you aren't bold in your faith, you will just go along to get along. And all these folks, someone else influences what they do. They are commanded, summoned, and told, you are going to do this. And now this was all the Lord's will. It was God's plan and purpose for that to occur. But today for us, as believers in 2022, when we are silent for the Lord, that means we are right there saying, crucify Him. Your silence agrees with crucifixion. God is looking down this morning to you and I, and He's saying, what people at Broadway Baptist Church what Christians here in our wonderful city of Lexington are going to stand up and be bold for my son? Who's going to take their faith seriously? Who's going to start living for the Lord? Who's going to go through that narrow road? Who's going to stand up and say, I'll carry the cross? Carrying the cross means you're going to do things. You're going to pay for things. You're going to give to things. You're going to take time out of what you your personal time, your personal resources, and you're going to do it for the Lord. Being a Christian costs you something. It's not easy. Folks, it costs Jesus His life. 
I'm pleading with you not to be like the crowd. Not to be one of these silent figures that's going along to get along. Jesus has called us out of that. He's calling us to bow our knees. Not in mockery of Jesus. Some of you, this morning, of your prayer life, the rest of this year, daily, you need to be dropping to your knees and praying to the King of Kings. If Listen, if the Roman guards can bow to Jesus, folks, can you bow to Jesus? I'm going to invite everyone to stand up at this time. We're going to have our invitation. And my invitation to you, I'm asking you to bow to Jesus. This is a time that we respond to Him. God has spoken to you this morning. We don't go along with the crowd. Christ calls us to respond. David Dale is going to lead us in our song. We're going to stand up here. Brother Herb, why don't you come stand up here with me? If you want to get saved, if you want to get baptized next week, if you want to come bow to Jesus, now's your time to do that. David? We'll sing, I surrender all.